2: Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Dr. Luke Snooski is a New Zealand well being coach and somatic therapist. He's a certified practitioner, mentor, and facilitator of compassionate inquiry a therapeutic approach developed by renowned Gabor Mate, aimed at helping people unearth the root causes of their suffering and self-destructive cycles. The core of what he does is reconnecting clients with their bodies so that they learn how to listen and care for them. Luke argues that authentic change begins with silence, stillness, and the courage to look inward. We might not like what we find there, but getting into our bodies is real the, where the real work is done. Through this awareness, we are able to liberate ourselves from old patterns and core beliefs. His new book, Soma Wise, is out now. Welcome, Luke.
3: Thank you for having me, I mean, It's an absolute pleasure.
2: Could really, really use your help. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to my season five opener, go back and listen to that. But in the event that you don't, I need your support. If you've been listening to me for a while, or even if you just started, you can go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. And there you can find different levels in which you can support the podcast financially. At this point, I have no ads. I have no... Um, sponsors, I am solely self-funding this podcast, and it would really, really help me out if you've gotten something out of this podcast, if you could donate $5, $10, or even $20 a month just to help me out, to help support the podcast. I'm continuing to work to try to get sponsors, to try to get advertisers, but until that happens, I need your help. And there are other ways to support the podcast. In addition to Patreon, you can like the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. I always love reading your reviews. They're really heartwarming to me. And it's the emotional currency that I get from providing you with this resource. So uh, please, please take a moment to just help me out here. You can also find the links in this um, episode, in the episode notes, as well as on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Yeah. All the way from New Zealand. It's Friday in Chicago. It's Saturday in New Zealand. And you're telling me we're going to survive the day.
3: Yes, <laughs> nice. everyone everyone can rest easy knowing there's a tomorrow.
2: <laughs> right. Right. So, let's get started. I have so many questions for you. Um, how does this work? Like you you talk about um the importance of getting into your bodies and that healing your body is where the real work is done. And I'm curious as a psychologist, how the mind fits in with all of this, like sort of a, which comes first, the chicken or the egg question.
3: It really depends on, again, which theory you're following, but at the end of the day, you might also want to track your own experience because one of the sort of arguments or central tenets for connecting to the body when it comes to something like healing is that you're actually connecting to what is real, palpable, and directly um alive for you rather than some external source or authority. So let's say, let's look when it comes to even healthy living, like it's easy to say, in fact, every single nutritional philosophy, whether it's keto, whether it's vegan, whether it's paleo, whether it's uh, Mediterranean, they're all going to have credentials. They're all going to have studies. They're all going to have testimonials. They're all going to have celebrities that are touting and media headlines that are touting their superiority and their health benefits. At the end of the day, however, no single diet works for everyone. So how do you know if you're reading and seeing all these external sources telling you, this is the answer, this is the answer, this is the answer, this is the answer. And if you go to different professionals, you're gonna get subtly different versions as to this is the answer, this is the answer, this is the answer. How do you know it actually works for you? And this is where connecting to the body can be quite powerful because it teaches us how to listen to the body's different physiological responses that are objectively true like we can't argue with the body's response to something we can argue with someone's opinion about what's happening so if you eat food and you feel sick or you vomit or you feel bloating gas indigestion or some other symptom or low energy then something might tell you okay something is happening that i should be curious about because my body's having a response to this and if we listen to the body rather than being stuck in the mind we be, we can begin to really decipher what our unique physiology needs for health and healing
2: i can tell you what i shouldn't have done was had two martinis last night at dinner
3: <laughs> <laughs> but here's here's the better question and this is this is this is how we can take that question or take that observation and really turn it into wisdom what did you notice in your body that led you to that conclusion? What is the evidence that the body gave you that let you know that you know what two martinis actually doesn't serve my body? So, so go tell me.
2: <laughs> well, um, I did not sleep well.
3: There it is. I had a Perfect. hard
2: time falling asleep. There I woke up Another with one. pain in my uh, an acid in my could have also been you know food that I'm I don't normally eat because I don't normally eat like that pain and acid in my stomach. Um, I feel really tired today. Like I could take a nap.
3: Yes. Again. So, So what you're doing is magical. Like this is the important part of whether we choose a lifestyle that is supposedly supposed to be health promoting or one that we might already know that won't be supporting our health and well-being for us to use this as a scientific ex- scientific experiment essentially every time we're engaging mm-hmm. with different choices we can use our body as a barometer for oh there's more evidence that let, let but Let, lets me know that this food or alcohol isn't actually serving my body rather than just chalking it up as, oh, I feel like shit. But when when we're able to articulate and say those things like low energy, hard falling asleep, hard staying asleep. And I love that you added, you know, there's acid that comes up and then tired the next day. When we just objectively list and we begin to pay attention and hear the body's wisdom, it's going to be easier for us to know and discern well, actually, do I really want to keep feeling this way and have all these things happen every time I have just two martinis? Or do I want to move away from move away from them and choose something different? So then at least then at that point, it becomes a choice, a conscious choice, knowing what the expected consequences might be. Mm -hmm. But more interesting it, the more interesting thing that actually happens is if we do this over the long term, we can actually then get curious about release unique and nuanced uh, subtleties of our lifestyle choices so let's say you ate a certain thing and then you had a poor reaction and then you took a break or whatever and then you ate that same thing but at a different location or you cooked it at home and then you had a very different reaction and then you might get curious i wonder what the commonalities are between this maybe there's something in the ingredients maybe there's something in the preparation process maybe there's something that i'm not considering again the what i'm talking about may not be um um, accessible at first but the longer you spend connected to your body or the more practice you have the deeper you go all of a sudden all these little subtle details become the the, the primary focus because you know generally what your body needs and all of a sudden you can start investigating the very minutiae of it
2: right I think the challenge you know my, as, as you're talking I'm like yeah and then suddenly I'm cooking every night for dinner right because you notice these things yes my my question is you know okay so so with the body in terms of like food and things like that sure it it might be maybe not for some people but for some people it might be easier to like break that down right like i had a martini and this is what happened. um let's talk about the mind and how just kind of the um the the basics of everyday life you know i have this conversation with someone often who when we talk about stress and cortisol levels being higher um and and it's like well you should be doing more of this or that and it's like okay yes and i do i'm talking about me personally right that, that i meditate and i do i have a hot blanket and i like try to do cold showers when i can all the things that many people hear about, but for a lot of people, that's not accessible for a lot of people. um, Life is stressful. My life is stressful. And I think I do a lot of things to manage within that. So what do you say to people who just like, just getting up in the morning and they got to go to work and they got to, which I do too, but um, they got, you know, they've got like a Nine to five factory job that they can't, and you know, all of those factors that like really make life,
0: yeah,
1: so very complicated. Yeah, I think.
3: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's there's a lot of, this seems like there's a couple directions we can take this answer. I'm going to take it in this direction. And if you want to take it in any other direction, we can add on to it um, after that. When we talk about the role of stress and being, um, and the role of the mind in that process, let's imagine like someone that comes to to a practitioner with anxiety, Mm-hmm. and one of the questions and if we're focused on the body rather than the, let's say if we're focused on the mind so we might ask the person okay so tell me all the things you're anxious about and if you tell an anxious person if you ask them what they're anxious about they're gonna have a long list of things to be anxious about because the experience of anxiety is in the body the, the thoughts that come up afterwards as a result of this anxiety this stress in the body the mind is doing its best job to find a reason why this anxiety is here so I can go solve it, right? So here's the mind doing its job, which is reacting. So the mind is reacting to a somatic state. If we focus on the body first and someone comes to us and they're saying, they're experiencing anxiety, we might say, okay, well, how many cups of coffee do you drink? About eight a day. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So here's this, here's this constant stress of caffeine, essentially anxiety juice that you're putting in your body and you're wondering why there's anxiety present in your life or your things that you're perceiving anxiety if we focus only on the mind and on the solutions given from the mind we're not actually going to the source which is the body the body is stressed the body is distressed the body has the physiological um, reactivity that's causing the mind to go so it's a mirror so, if the body is distressed, the mind is distressed. And let me give you an example: If someone goes and gets a massage, their mind doesn't do anything in the massage; they just lay there, and they have someone else physically remove tension and stress from their body.
2: Mm-hmm. Let me
3: ask you this, Amy: Have you ever gotten a massage?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: How does your mind feel? How does your what is the experience of your mind after the massage?
2: I mean, I'm like spaghetti.
3: Yes, but your mind—that's your body. What's your mind like?
2: Um, spaghetti.
3: Spaghetti. Is that is that is that synonymous with calm?
2: Mush, like just mush. like total mush, like just yes, like it's, yeah. totally blissed out. Like
3: there it is, blissed peaceful. out, mush, peaceful, calm. Right. Your mind didn't do anything. You actually didn't go and solve anything to the, of your. You didn't solve any of your anxieties, and yet the mind stopped experiencing that constant outward of what am I anxious about? How do I solve this? What do I, What am I anxious about? And that's because we went to the source and we literally just manipulated the tissue of the body to get rid of tension and stress. So this is, this is my invitation for anyone that is, that is, um, because this is going to be an interesting segue, one that you may not expect that even though we're doing meditation, even though we're doing the, the, the choices that our mind comes up with. Oh, I'm feeling stressed. I know I just need to go do that. Oh, I'm feeling stressed. I need to go that, do that. What's more important than the activity or the practice that we choose, whether it's exercise, whether it's running, whether it's swimming, whether it's dancing, whether it's meditation, breathwork, you said cold exposure, sauna, the the magic ingredient that turns those practices into something that's transformational and healing is the quality of stillness. So rather than it being another check the box item, right? So, okay, I'm going to go do that. I know I'm going to feel better. But what we're doing is we're ingraining the same reactivity of my mind and thoughts as to do something and I go do it. And that's how I solve it. For some people, it's healthy and health promoting like meditation and yoga. For others, those automatic thoughts are not health promoting. Mm -hmm. Alcohol, cigarettes, porn, um, uh, shopping, whatever it may be. Gambling, gambling, exactly. You're starting to understand this. For everyone, we all have our own unique self-soothing patterns that the mind comes up with that says, this is how I'm going to get rid of this internal discomfort, right? Some of these automatic habits are are shunned by society, like porn, like gambling, whatever it may be. Some of these automatic self-soothing patterns are celebrated by society, wealth, success, power, those sorts of things. If we want to go to the source however we have to use these practices and infuse the quality of stillness and what i mean by stillness is that here comes meditation when we're completely still we focus on our breath and our body and we trust and we just watch our body go through this automatic process the mind's going to start going crazy most beginning meditators will say i can't meditate because my mind is busy Mm -hmm. and i would and i would say no, you're, you're, you're doing it perfectly. You're mm-hmm. just realizing how busy your mind always is mm-hmm. because you've stopped to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Because in everyday life, when you're not thinking about it, that's the way your mind always is. So when we stop and become still, and like, oh, my mind is so crazy. No, it's always crazy. And all we have to do is just keep coming back to the body because the mind wants to react because that's what it's doing. It's reacting, 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 reacting. And by becoming still, we're doing the opposite. So we're saying we're not going to react. We're gonna notice that little sensation in our body that makes me want to move, and we're gonna not do anything about it. We're gonna notice the chaotic thoughts in our mind. We're not gonna follow the roller coaster. We're gonna just notice that, oh, there's my mind goes again, and we'll come back to our breath. Because as soon as we come back to our breath, we breathe in the present moment, and it's our body that's doing the breathing. That's what makes the breath a magical sort of anchor for us. Why everyone, mental health professionals, talk about the importance of breathing, because, Again, breathing keeps us present, and the body is doing the breathing. And this is where we wanna keep our attention so we're not floating around in the imaginary and chaotic world of thought. And this third aspect of stillness, there's this third aspect of stillness, this internal posture, right? So we can either be still and like sort of gripping our hands and like really fighting this experience, or we can soften into it. And one example is the ice bath. Here comes the shower. Oh yeah, I can do it. I can do it just 30 more seconds, just this other mental game of 30 more seconds. Or we can say, let's let's explore the cold. Let's see if I could be very present and still as my body experiences this cold. And again, that way of relating to our body allows it to heal. And the reason I say that is, the mind doesn't get to guide the process of healing. The, The body does so so let me give you an example Mm -hmm. so talk therapy happens and we get an insight and the light bulb turns on holy shit i get it it happened because of this and this and this it may not be entirely true but it may be true that it really did source from that original insight or whatever it may be let me ask you this you see clients i see clients after the intellectual insight is the healing done is everyone's like oh cool done there it's all it's all finished they have nothing else to worry about." No. No, it's never that way because the intellectual insight and the, the mental approach towards healing is like churning on the light in a really dark room. The light turns on, which is a great experience. And then you look around the room and you're like, holy shit, there's still a big mess here to clean up. The mess doesn't clean itself up automatically. And that's the inner work. That's the work of the body. So the mind heals and moves at a direction, like, like all over it can, in a single moment, you can change your mind. And then that next moment, you'll change your mind again. And you've had that experience. I've had that experience. Many have had that experience. The body, however, is this slow, constant and gentle movement and intention towards healing and thriving. The body has no other intention. It is just automatically driven, intrinsically driven towards healing and thriving. That's its programming. Every cell in our body, trillions of them, every single one of them has a single program, and that is survival and thriving. That's what thats what every cell in our body is programmed to do. When the mind starts coming in, it's getting in the way of that process. Sorry, you were about to say something.
2: No, I was going to ask a follow-up question. So so the person has insight, right? I do insight-oriented yes. therapy. Um, yes. They have this insight. Where do you then take them with their body, with that insight? So, okay, suddenly you understand how your relationships are always going bad because you know, you the way that you internalize the divorce of your parents and their marriage and what happens and um you're like right. oh i'm recreating that pattern in my own life yes. because i don't know happiness because i didn't see happiness and i don't believe i deserve happiness and okay
3: beautiful beautiful great this is a great example because now what we with the insight we have to connect the insight to the body if we just leave it at the insight level we're done like it'll just keep just keep happening and we'll we'll think that our therapist is crap because they you know they didn't make us change that's not true what hap- what we need to do is say okay well, here's the insight now tell me what happens in your body when you find yourself in that pattern because you're going to need that information mm. because we're going to need to know oh shit! here it comes here's that emotion here's that reaction here's that automatic thought that happens every time the cycle is about to continue and when we start becoming aware and attuned to that physiological process oh here it is again I know this experience, this feels familiar, I could either go down this path and react and recreate the same old things I've been creating since childhood, mm-hmm. or I can infuse stillness. And this is where it's mm-hmm. that, let's come out of my mind and feel this experience, because if I don't react to it, some whatever's on the other side of not reacting is new possibility, new potential, and conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And, because if we're not automatically reacting, we're consciously choosing. So if we want if we don't want to be a slave to our automatic conditioning that's been embedded in our nervous system since childhood, it requires us that it what's required is that capacity to stop, notice, become still, and then to choose, and say, I mm-hmm. wonder what other possibilities there are for me. And this is where practices become important. It's not that meditation gets rid of your problems. It's not that ice baths get rid of your problems. It's that. It's
2: not even that that being in tuned with your body gets rid of your problems. It's making a different choice from yes. that place.
3: Yes, and those are the practices and the connection to the body that allows us to do it. So mm-hmm. it's just the catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. We need to be connected to the body so we are aware of, in fact, let me say this, it's only in the moment that you're triggered, it's the only moment that change is actually possible. Every other change that happens is just a mental mind game. It's like, yep, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to change it. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, but it's just... Go
2: on. Oh, No, I was just going to say, so let's go back to the example I gave. So then yes. you, could, you could say to someone, Well, what did it feel like for you as a child when you used to watch your parents fight? Yes. And then they'll say, oh, I remember getting a stomach ache and sitting in the corner and feeling tightness in my throat. And then you bring it to the present, right? So you're constantly making this bridge for people.
3: Absolutely right. And we need to make that bridge for people because... This is this is the central tenet of compassionate inquiry. Gabramate's approach that I'm a facilitator and a mentor for. We need that connection because otherwise the present moment suffering will go around in circles. Once we introduce mm-hmm. the contextual mm-hmm. understanding that this present day suffering is partly related to the shittiness of the present moment, but it's largely related to the same old things that have been happening to me since childhood. Mm-hmm. So if we can make that connection and that understanding, all of a sudden we can say, oh wow, if this program has been running on repeat, then what can I give myself What needs can I give myself? What what did I need or what do I need now that I didn't get then, right? Mm -hmm. Because how does the child learn to deal with emotions? Avoid, repress, suppress, whatever it may be. All the little coping mechanisms that a little nervous system has to take on in order to survive an environment that's stressful. And then Mm -hmm. those same mechanisms carry forward. Mm -hmm. They extend. They externally manifest and they look different for every person. However, at the core of it is avoidance, at the core of it is repression, and at the core of it is numbing. Right. So the the solution means we 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 have to turn around and face and hold and support. Like if it's a small child, if a very young child comes up to us and says, I have a tummy ache, I have tension and I'm sad. The first thing you do is you hold that child. And then here's here's the magic of holding a child. Does your mind control when that child experiences relief? Is it like okay, 30 seconds and then this child will be healed? No. Their body will How will you know if they're if they're having a response to your holding? What will you experience in that in that child's body if you're holding them?
2: Well, they'll relax. They'll settle. That's it. There mm-hmm. it is.
3: So here we have this opportunity. Here comes a present moment trigger. Oh, there it is i explored this in therapy i understand where this reaction comes from because of that insight the insight is important because of that insight i now understand that this experience requires a very different relational dynamic with myself than the usual i'm going to go reach for chocolate i'm going to go reach mm-hmm. for porn i'm going to go reach i'm going to go reach for anger I'm going to go reach for Mm -hmm. whatever it is that that's automatic relational Mm -hmm. pattern. I'm going to go reach for yelling at this person. If you're Mm -hmm. talking about this, you know, you were talking about the specific example of parents divorcing and here's this relational uh, thing happening again. We have to understand that that automatic impulse for yelling at our partner is also a self-protective mechanism because we were never taught how to hold, how to be present with and how to process our own emotions. And so here's that opportunity, present moment, here comes the trigger, and it's the only moment that we can change. No other moment. Because Mm -hmm. here comes the trigger that sets off the automatic reaction. And in that moment, we can choose and say, no, I can be with it. Let's stay with it. I've practiced being with it and with stillness, with whatever whatever practice we use to practice stillness. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm preparing for. This is the real change. All that is just preparation. Here's the mm-hmm. game, right? Mm-hmm. So here it is, mm-hmm. and, and here's the thing. I can't tell you what happens after because spoiler alert, I don't know. That's not for me to decide. Only the person that's sitting with that can then choose. Okay, let's see. It's like urge surfing, right? And psycho- psychological That's John
2: Breyer who we were talking yeah. about before. That's okay. his, it came out of his work.
3: Okay, perfect. Let's call yeah. it urge surfing. It's one way to describe it is that I
2: love this this concept. It's so great for people. Yeah.
3: Well, that's because people never experience the peak of their experience and the passing of their experience. So they never have that experiential evidence that something ends. It doesn't stay shitty forever.
2: Can you can tr- you just describe exactly what urge surfing is for people who don't know? I'm not sure if I've talked about it before, but I talk about it in my therapy a lot with people.
3: Yeah. So let's say there's the experience of anger or let's start with one that most people can relate to the experience of tiredness in the morning. There is the experience of tiredness in the morning and that reaches a peak and tiredness doesn't go on forever because we have circadian rhythms and we transition to a state of energy. However, most people are very uncomfortable with the experience of tiredness. So what do they reach for in the morning? Coffee. Coffee. And now they don't give themselves the experience that they start conditioning that if I have low energy, I have to come out of it with coffee because there's no other way, because this is just a horrible experience of not having energy. And yet, actually, there is a peak to that experience and it passes away. Just like with the pain that we experience or a trigger or a urge to mm-hmm. to to go drink eat or, or watch or porn, right. drink, exactly. So there's these urge and temptations and impulses and experiences in our body that they all share the same destiny. And this is a very Eastern philosophy. Mm. The same exact destiny is shared by every experience in our body, whether it's a sensation or an emotion. And that is, it's destined to arise and it's destined to pass away. It cannot and and under any circumstances stick around forever. However, the thing that makes it seem like it'll stick around forever is the reactivity of the mind. Mm. So if we watch in stillness, this is what happens. It peaks, it passes away. It may stay for a little longer than we thought, but it passes away. If we react to it, we may drop it a little bit and it comes back. And if we keep reacting to it, it, we just actually keep it around by by going through these reactive behaviors.
0: Mm.
2: I think John used to say, you can't, this isn't maybe the exact perfect quote, but you can't beat the wave, but you can learn to surf.
3: Yeah. And that's that's exactly,
2: that's exactly what you're talking about is how we ride those waves of emotion. I think that you can notice starting in your body, right? Most people don't think they're anxious before they feel something that makes them believe that what they're experiencing is anxiety.
3: Yes, absolutely, and I, I think you're also tapping into something that is, again, in the micro scale, and the tiniest of micro scales. We're practicing practicing this this way of way of being in meditation or whatever it may be, cold exposure, and then all of a sudden we have a real life experience where we have that trigger or that wave or that or that that experience where we can ride the wave. But that's also symbolic and metaphorical for the bigger picture of life, right? Things happen to us that we don't necessarily control. We can't fight the wave, but we can learn to surf. So all of this, yeah, yeah, we can't. I think that's what you said. I think I was stealing your quote, actually. Mm -hmm. So, so we can't fight the wave; like it's impossible. And that's also that's also, and we'll take that wave. We'll take that wave imagery, and this is why you know some people want to be masters of their mind. The, the mastery of the mind is like this ideal or this, this this superior quality to achieve. And through my work and my understanding and what I explore in Soma-wise is that I've chosen a very different path. It might look the same on the surface, but how I'm relating to myself and my experience is very different than most. So rather than being a master of the mind, my intention is to be a humble servant of the body, that the body has more wisdom than my mind can ever understand. In fact, my body goes through healing that my mind simply cannot comprehend. So let me give you an example that the mind sometimes doesn't really know what it's talking about. What? Give me an example. I mean, what's one bodily function that is healing, but the mind doesn't like the experience of it because it's uncomfortable? So what happens when we, your body gets hot? What is that called?
2: Well, you sweat.
3: And what well, is it you- called when... What is, that, what is that experience called when you're about to get sick? And what is that experience called? It starts with an F. A fever.
2: Oh, I'm thinking so deep about this.
3: Right. And let me ask you this, Amy. Does your mind like having a fever?
2: No, my mind does no. I don't like being sick.
3: Exactly. And yet the fever is a therapeutic measure by the body. To right. so the body, this is healing. The body's like, no, no, this is me healing myself. Let me do my job. Right, but the mind's like no, no, no. I need to disrupt this and get rid of this. I might take an anti-fever. I might do this. Another example is what comes out the mouth when you're sick.
2: The thing I like doing least in this world.
3: Yeah, vomiting. Right. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's the experience of vomiting. When the right. body vomits spontaneously, naturally, it's healing.
2: Right. It's, mind, purging, mi- it's purging. It's yes. purging what it doesn't need.
3: Right. Exactly, and the mind doesn't like that experience. When it comes out the other side, it's called diarrhea. Again, the mind doesn't like it for the body it's like i need to get rid of this this is not healthy so we can't always trust the mind because sometimes the very discomfort that we're avoiding is the medicine and so Mm -hmm. here comes this here comes this pain an old relational wound here here it comes being triggered or activated by our present partner or our child or our boss or whatever it may be and here it comes here comes that tension that upset stomach you were talking about and in that moment we say What did I not get when I was a kid that I can give myself now? Presence. I can -hmm. give myself presence. I can hold this and just be with it and breathe with it. I can give it, I can give it validation. It's okay that this emotion is present. It's okay that it's here. I can hold it. We can offer it love. I love this part of myself, that inner child work. We can be present with it and stay with it and notice what happens. Can we ride the wave? Can we ride the experience? To show this part of ourselves, this ingrained part of ourselves, that there is an end to the challenge, that we mm-hmm. don't have to react and react in our same old habitual self-protective ways, that we can be present and trust the body, not the mind, trust that whatever I'm feeling is okay. That's the difference.
2: How is How does compassionate inquiry fit into this?
3: Compassionate inquiry gave me the words... And gave me the intellectual connecting points. So essentially, I've been practicing somatic practices for years. I started uh, as a personal trainer when I was like 17, 18 years old. And that just got progressively deeper in terms of my understanding of the body. And even though I had, I started to realize that there was spiritual awakening that corresponded with the journey back into the body. Like the more I connected to the body, the body, the more spiritual I was, which was so strange mm-hmm. because it started with these aesthetic athletic performance driven goals because I was a football player. Eventually just getting progressively deeper to the point that I'm like, Holy crap. There's, there's, um, There's spirituality in this journey back to my body. But I never had the words and I never could bridge the gap between helping people to understand this connection. And CI gave me that language and that capacity because CI is beautiful in terms of modalities and approaches. Because rather than it being like a prescribed sort of like, this is what you do, like with maybe CBT might be where here's the prescribed protocol, CI is a it, I thought I was client-centered. I thought I knew what client-centered meant until I took a very deep dive into CI, where we, where our, or my intention as a CI practitioner, and maybe other expressions and interpretations of it are slightly different because CI is an approach more than a specific modality. For me, I really try to remove all of my assumptions. I don't assume anything. Not even that, even if I think I know what the client is feeling. The client is the expert to the point that I'm really helping them. I'm so fully in their world and so curious about their world and navigating their present and their past that all of a sudden we're, 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 we're exploring and unpacking every little detail of whatever it is that they came to explore on the surface. And the thing about CI is that we're in relationship with their mind because we're getting information, but we're simultaneously in relationship with the client's body. So whenever you ask a question like, so one of the one of the common questions in CI is, well, when this happened to you as a child, who did you speak to about it then? And the answer 99% of the time is no one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that's information from the mind. To give you an example of what it's like to get information from the body, you would say, well, how does it feel to acknowledge that you didn't have anyone to speak to or you didn't talk to anyone at that age? And then all of a sudden they're pausing and they're connecting that realization to their body and if their body's having a response because through practice i've learned that there's innate healing from urge surfing from being present with that experience the invitation becomes can we be present with that experience as it's here without trying to change it without trying to label it just holding it and to notice and again that changes it that sometimes here comes even more emotion sometimes it softens
2: what if I'm they can't looking... even what if someone can't even identify yes do you take it away from them and say what would you imagine it would feel like for someone who experienced that if they if it's too painful or difficult for Absolutely. them to put themselves in that place
3: you you are speaking as if you you are the creator of ci because one of the pathways there's, again, when people do the professional training and I have students and I teach people CI, uh, many of them are already connected to their body. But when we do CI and when we do therapy with people outside of this world, you and I both know that many people are not connected to their body.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And connecting to the body is not an easy process. It's not right. a comfortable process, right? Because if we automatically disconnected from the body to protect ourselves because it was dangerous to feel, coming back to feeling is going to be a fucking uncomfortable experience. Mm-hmm. And I and I and I squeeze my f bomb in there because mm-hmm. it was appropriate because it really is going to be uncomfortable to come back mm-hmm. to our body. So in that case, where you have a where you have a client that cannot connect to their body it's it, it becomes a dance and one of those dances is well you know again let's let's give you an example so you know so what was it what happened to you at that age or you know what the, the memory comes up we explore the memory and the client says oh yeah but that's no big deal you know that happens to everybody i, I was lucky i know kids that had it way worse than me right mm-hmm. i hear that one all i hear that mm-hmm. one all the time and i'm like okay great so then that's my cue for look. What's happening in that moment is there's the acknowledgement of the memory, but there is an acknowledgement of the felt experience and the mind, it's doing its job. So here it is, the mind's coming in and saying, no, 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 Mm -hmm. I'm going to rationalize, minimize and justify away the pain. I'm not going to acknowledge that this is quite painful. And here's that pathway that you provided or uh, that you suggested. And it is one of the many pathways within CI, which is, well, okay, let's imagine another kid. That age in that situation. All of a sudden, the client starts talking about another kid mm-hmm. in that situation and starts painting. And you know, as a therapist, we're painting the picture. This is the this is the environment of the child. This is what's going on around them. How would they feel? And all of a sudden, they're able to articulate the emotion. Not only are they able to articulate the emotion, guess what else happens? They start feeling the emotion. They're like, this is so weird to have this experience. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do with CI is get past the defense of the mind mm-hmm. so the client can touch their actual experience because it's there. Mm-hmm. And so and sometimes that may not work. But we don't lose the we don't lose the intention of remembering and noticing that something is always happening in the body. Even if the client is unconscious to it, here's some cues that something's happening in the body. The client looks away. The client looks away the client looks down. The client shifts the client adjusts. The client's skin changes; might turn a little red, it might turn a little white.
2: Splatchy. I see spo- yes. People get real yes. Splatchy. Yeah. Yes.
3: The client's breathing might change. So here's where here's where like this is the central tenet: the wise The mind tells stories; the body speaks the truth. So the client says, "Oh yeah, but that 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 happens to everybody." While their body's dancing around, and they're looking up, and they might start sweating, and I'm like, "Okay," and I still slow them down. What do you notice in your body? What's can we stay present? What? Do you notice a sensation there? So even even in the defense, something must be happening in the body. So this Mm -hmm. is why CI has taught me to be incredibly attuned to even the subtlest and most micro adaptations in the client's Mm -hmm. body because it's their body that's actually telling me what's happening for them internally. And so for paying attention to that, we kind of know when to mirror, when to pause and say, hey, look, there's something there. What, What was that? Mm -hmm. Can you see if we can pay attention to that? And it doesn't necessarily, it's not like here's the trick and it's done. It's just little opportunities for giving the body a chance to process whatever it is rather than subconsciously jump over it and move on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing here is we're reinforcing that connection to self. We're reinforcing, and, and in the presence of this therapeutic relation, we're reinforcing that constant coming back to while at the same time also reinforcing the capacity to not do anything. Stillness, right? Here, I don't ever have to say we're practicing stillness with my therapy clients. All I have to say is, can we, can we see what happens if we stay with that? And let's see if it changes, mm-hmm. right? This objective question. And all of a sudden the client is automatically doing that because they have someone there who's, I'm not reacting. I'm completely okay. They're in pain because I've sat with my own pain and I know there's benefit to sitting with pain. So that is the foundation that they almost feel safer because I'm not having a reaction. Like, Oh, do you need anything? You, can, can I get you anything? Are you, are you sure this is okay? Mm-hmm.
1: If, if I, re-
3: if I have that reaction, they're going to receive the subconscious message that it's not okay to feel this.
2: And then perhaps and I, they need to take care of you because you can't tolerate the feelings, right? This is what,
3: absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. However, if we're objectively present and we say something like, are you okay that the pain is here with us, what do, do you need anything right now? If, mm-hmm. if it gets too much, please let me know. But otherwise I'm happy to be in this space with you as your body has this experience, all of a sudden they're like, this is different. And it, it could make them curious. It could help them turn in It it could help them become still so their body can do the work that it's been wanting to do since they're children. The body wants to move through these processes of healing. The body wants to process these emotions. What gets in the way is.
2: It's interesting that because I was talking to my sister-in-law, who is also a therapist. So we have some really deep, deep discussions. And she was talking about her daughter and how she had broken some bad, her daughter's six, and she had broken some bad news to her daughter about her best friend moving. And she said her daughter like screamed and cried for like three minutes. And my sister-in-law, who's an incredible mother, just sat with her and like two seconds, three minutes later, she was like, okay. And just like moved on. Right. And so I think this is what you're talking about that so many people don't get is that oftentimes parents or any anybody partners own discomfort with someone else's emotional pain results in them doing something more than just being present with it and allowing for her same thing right she just rode that wave of anger and sadness but because she's six and she's not fully can't she's not going to fully rationalize her way out of it and say oh well i shouldn't yes. feel bad or her mom didn't jump in and say it's okay you're going to see her all the time or we're going to make it okay or whatever she just felt the feeling it moved and and you know went on its merry way and i think Absolutely. that's such a beautiful illustration of how when we can tolerate it and when other people can tolerate it
3: yes uh you're you're not only are you providing a perfect example but you're also linking to your previous example around how do these how do these patterns that we learn in childhood get expressed as adults? So in childhood, we learn that we're not supposed to express anger. And all of a sudden, here are we as adults telling our children, no, 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 stop. You're not supposed to cry or scream or do any of that. So instead, again, we once we start doing the healing work within ourselves and learning how to sit with this, this is when we have the capacity to give it to others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any any parent. And I'm a parent myself, any parent that wants to improve their capacity to, to be with their children, guess where that process starts? Mm-hmm. Getting better at sitting with their own stuff, right? because that'll give them the capacity to explore new possibility rather than the same old reactive behaviors that they've ingrained in both their own, that is ingrained in their own nervous system. And that has been getting ingrained in their children's nervous system.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Luke, I could clearly we could talk for a really long time about a lot of topics, some of which we talked about before, Um, but this was really, really insightful for me. I have a lot more questions I could ask, but in the in the name of time, because I'm going to take my son to a movie this afternoon, um, tell people where they can find your work and your book. And if they want to work, if they're interested in perhaps working with you, I'm assuming because you're in New Zealand, you probably do some zoom work as well
3: yeah most most of the new zealand is a very small country most of the work that i do is on is through zoom um i teach and lead retreats uh even again the journey back into the body sometimes involves unique um modalities and one of those modalities that's emerging all over the world is plant medicine and psychedelics and there's a you know i i co-facilitate psychedelic retreats, one in Bolivia. Um, and then related to my Wise book, SOMOWise, there's an online program that is connected to. So the the book is a companion read and guide with the program. So you'd be reading the book and taking all the taking all the theories or taking all the concepts and actually applying them to your own life and your own body over the course of uh, 14, yeah, 14 or 12 weeks. And then, so again, it becomes an experiential journey. So it takes the teachings and turns it into practical mm. wisdom for the person. And all of that is available at my website, LukeSnooski.com.
2: Okay. And that will be available in the show notes as well for everybody. So Luke, thank you. Thank you for getting up with me this morning. Congratulations. Luke got civil married, civilly married yesterday. So he's, did. Thank he's sharing his morning with me. I'm so honored. <laughs> um, but thank you. This was really, really wonderful and helpful. And I think helps people really see the nuances in this work and how they can begin. I mean, it's it's not like you just wake up one day and you meditate and suddenly everything's better. It's a it's a process of engagement in um, really looking into yourself and knowing yourself and increasing your own conscious awareness of what your experience experiences are.
3: That's, that's a lovely way to put it. And that's a beautiful summary of everything we've explored today. So thank you, Amy, for having thank me. You. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you.
2: Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.